Yeah, so you've probably really felt a shift already in these 24 hours, you know, just this slowing down, getting more quiet. And we do this collectively as a, as a whole group, even with the other retreat as well. There's almost 100 people here, you know, who are going through this rhythm. And we kind of feel it almost as an organism. We start to enter into this um, atmosphere together of silence and moving a little bit more slow, turning a little bit more inward, being with ourselves, letting go, letting go of a lot of things. You know, many people let go of their cell phones. Some people you know, handed, them, handed them in at the office. It's a big deal, really. We, we have developed an addiction. I have developed an addiction to, <laughs> to my devices. And, you know, to really put them aside for a while is it a big deal. We experience some withdrawal from that. You know, so we're already going through quite a, quite a big shift here, even in 24 hours. And what you'll notice as well and what showed up in the weather report is that there's a lot of, lot of swings a lot of different polarities in, in what people are feeling in the room, but also what we feel through the day. You know, a lot of, lot of mood swings, a lot of changes, you know, from being probably quite exhausted or tired at times, and then maybe having a little bit more brightness and energy, you know, sometimes getting very restless and agitated and, you know, even hard to be here, very hot. And then now it's going to be getting quite cold, <laughs> you know. So these, these swings that we go through, you know. And yet what we're attempting to do is to establish some kind of presence, some kind of mindful attention, so that we can be steady with all these changes that occur. And they're always occurring, even, you know, outside of retreat, however, we're not paying quite so much attention, right? And here, there's not a lot more going on. <laughs> so we're very aware of these changes, you know, and the discomfort and the displeasure and the, you know, all, all these swings, right? So, so this practice, this practice of establishing a quality of, of presence, of mindful attention, which brings about a kind of steadying, a steadying within ourselves so we're not so reactive. We're not so caught in our likes and our dislikes and our demands and our expectations and our judgments about how we want things to be. And as we stay present, there's the, there's the possibility of being able to be more aware with some insight and wisdom that these moods and mind states and physical states, they come and they go. They arise and they pass, they change. And we begin to see it more in a bigger picture as kind of the landscape of our mind or the landscape of our experience. Sometimes it's called the weather pattern, you know, the weather pattern of our day. And yet, and yet, how to stay steady with that so that we're not all got caught up in, these, in this reactivity, which causes a great deal of stress. And when the Buddha, in the Buddha's teachings, really, this is what he's addressing. He's not saying that these 
these uh, uh, pleasurable experiences and these unpleasant experiences kind of start to collapse into more pleasure so that we're not experiencing so much discomfort and unpleasantness anymore. That's not what the teaching is. The teaching is, yes, things change. It's the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows in this world. And how do we find a place of steadiness and a place of balance where we don't get so caught up that we lose our ground, that we lose our center, we lose our balance? And so this mindfulness, this mindfulness that we're establishing is like one teacher, Gil Fronsdale, used this wonderful metaphor of like putting a stake in the river, right? Like the mindfulness is the mind, like a stake. And the river is, is rushing by, but the stake isn't moving, right? The stake doesn't move, but all of the river of life is flowing but we're like the stake. And in that place, in that place of being the stake, we're just being observing, we're witnessing, we're knowing what's moving by, what's flowing by. Right? We're not being carried away by all the conditions of life, which is the river of life. We're not being pulled, we're not, we're not taken downstream willy-nilly, right? How did I get down here? <laughs> I don't want to be down here, right? So that stake, right? Mindfulness is like the stake in the river, and we are finding a way to establish that as our true home, as our true ground, which truly is already our in innate nature of who we are. We just don't know that yet. It's like when waking up, when we talk about waking up, what we're talking about is recognizing what's actually already true. Because we get caught up in this mind stream and the way that the mind takes us in all these different directions and scenarios and, you know, it's like getting on a train and we, we get on and we go off to some destination and sometimes we like the destination, but then all of a sudden it's going down a track we don't actually want to go on and we don't know how to get off the train. It's like, I thought I wanted to be on this train, but I don't want to be on this train, right? How do I get off? So both, we want to know how to get off the train, but we also want to know to have a choice whether we want to get on the train at all. <laughs> you know, maybe we don't need to. Maybe there's another way to experience our life, our reality. So this, I wanted to share this one uh, teaching from the Buddha, which is one of the um, foundational teachings from this uh, collection of the Buddha's discourses, which is called the Majjhima Nikaya, which is the, the Pali word for the middle length saying. So it's 150 teachings, uh, that uh, discourses that the Buddha gave that were collected because they're all middle length. So, <laughs> and then there's one that's got the short discourses and the long, dis the long verses. <laughs> this is called the, the, middle, the middle length sayings. And so this is, um, number 119 out of the 150. And this one is really um, where the Buddha talks about establishing uh, mindfulness that is immersed in the body. 
because it's really this the body, and that's how we've been practicing today, you know, through this um, connection and grounding and centering through the body, we start to feel more of that ground, of that that foundation where we can stand, where we can rest, where we, we might start to feel a kind of steadiness. So the, so the Buddha uh, speaks in this discourse about the, the, the body, and he says, how is, the Buddha, the Blessed One said, how is mindfulness immersed in the body developed? How is it pursued so as to be of great fruit and great benefit? And the Buddha says, there is a case where a monk, a practitioner, having gone to the wilderness, to the shade of a tree, or to an empty building, sits down, folding his legs crosswise, holding his body erect, and setting mindfulness to the fore. And just in that sentence, that's exactly what we have come here to do. Um, it's kind of a wilderness. <laughs> At least it's, you know, some distance from the craziness out there, or even in Fairfax, you know, or Marin County, you know. We might find a shade of a tree, you know, or an empty building, right, this space. Sits down, folding his legs crosswise, holding his body erect and setting mindfulness to the fore. Always mindful, she breathes in. Mindful, she breathes out. Breathing in long, she discerns that she is bring it breathing out long. Or breathing in long, she discerns that she's breathing in long. Or breathing in short, he discerns that he is breathing in short, a short breath. Or breathing out short, he discerns that he's breathing out short. This quality of knowing that I spoke about this morning we're, we're, we're cultivating this sense of mindful know, knowing. We know what's happening. And using the breath, in this case, as a way to begin to establish some concentration, the one-pointedness, so we're, we have a place to return back to, something that is tangible, that we can locate, that we can say, yes, I'm here. I know that I'm here. He says... He trains himself to breathe insensitive to the entire body. So beautiful, you know, sensitive to the entire body. And to breathe out, sensitive to the entire body. So sometimes that breath can feel like it's the whole body breathing. And we spoke about that this morning. She trains herself to breathe in, calming the breath, and to breathe out, calming the breath. So we start to feel more of the calm, the soothing, of the relaxation in the breath. And he remains thus heedful, ardent, and resolute. Resolute, Any memories or resolves related to the household life are abandoned. Right? And with their abandoning, her mind gathers and settles inwardly and grows unified and centered. Right? That's what we've already begun here. You know, letting go as the, as the mind gets pulled into the memories of the, the recent past or sometimes the further past or starting to lean into the future already about 
going back, you know, in the household or, you know, things we left behind. You know, the Buddha says um, he resolves to let go of, of memories related to the household life. They're abandoned. And with their abandoning, his mind gathers and settles. And so, and then the last part, last part of this, it's a, a longer, longer discourse, but this is what I want to read. He says, furthermore, with going forward and returning, she makes herself fully alert when looking toward and looking away, when bending and extending her limbs, when carrying his outer cloak, the, the, the robe, his upper robe and his bowl, when eating drinking, chewing, and savoring, when urinating and defecating, when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and remaining silent, he makes himself fully alert, mindful, present. And as he remains thus heedful, ardent, and resolute, any memories and resolves related to the household life are abandoned. And with their abandoning, his mind gathers and settles inwardly, grows unified and centered. This is how a monk or a practitioner develops mindfulness immersed in the body. So you see, it's, it's, it's such a clear teaching, right? We're, 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 we're not making this up, <laughs> you know? It's not like a, a great idea, <laughs> you know, and like everybody's now all excited about mindfulness, you know, this is, this is 2,600 years ago, and the way that these discourses have been translated from the oral teachings, these were oral teachings that were, they didn't write these down for a few hundred years, actually, after the time of the Buddha, and so it was, everything was just passed on through or, oral uh, uh, repetition, how, that's how the teachings continued. And finally, they wrote them down in this ancient language called Pali. And then, actually, um, this was only available to us in a very uh, kind of uh, a, a easy way to read, probably in the last 30 years. Before, the translations were quite awkward and very dry and, and not so easily accessible. And then... Uh, uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi and Bhikkhu Nyanamoli um, tackled this vast body of teachings and made them beautifully readable and accessible to us. And that's when I started to get involved and studied the, the text because they were, they were just so wonderful to read. And then this was about 15, 20 years after I had started my practice and it, was, it just it all came alive. It's like, oh, this is the Buddha taught this. It wasn't just my teachers, you know, Joseph Goldstein and Jack Cornfield, you know, like, no, this is like <laughs> the Buddha, you know. And, it, and it's, it's wonderful when we really start to get a sense of the, the simplicity, really, of what, what we're being invited to do. It's not really that complicated. What makes it complicated is our mind, is what we do with it. It's how we think about it and how we analyze it and what we, how we, we make this whole experience of our life and ourself into something much more complex than it needs to be. So, so we're, we're coming back to the basics. This is basic, basic, basic. Just this 
attending to an in-breath, to an out-breath? Is it a short breath? Is it a long breath? We might even say, is it a rough breath or is it a smooth breath? Is it a deep breath? Is it a, sh- is it a shallow breath? Because it's always changing. All we want to, we just want to know. And this is just the breath. We have so many different experiences that are happening any given moment through the eyes and through the ears and through the nose, the smell, the taste, the skin, the sensations in the body, the emotions, the mind states. There's, you know, and just to be present and interested and curious about what's arising in any given moment and can I be here for it? The Buddha speaks about these three qualities, the, 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 the qualities of mind that are run through many of the discourses. And the Buddha talks about the quality of being ardent. It's not a word that is so popular uh, for us in our, in our language, but this ardency. And what it really means, it's a kind of eagerness. It's a quality of a zealousness. And in the Latin, it's from the word to burn, which I love, because it's kind of a, a fiery, a hot, you know, energetic quality, this ardency, you know, really finding that, that, that fire, fire in the belly, you know, so that we can, we can actually, you know, lift up our mind to meet this practice rather than the dullness or the tiredness or, you know, the um, busyness, the restlessness of the mind. So, so this quality of ardency, right? Fiery, hot, not like the hot we've had today. Remember the, the fire in the belly kind of hot, yeah. And 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 the second quality the Buddha talks about is alert. You know what it means to be alert. This wakefulness, wakeful. We we are attending to. We are aware of what's occurring moment to moment to moment i'm hearing i'm tasting i'm seeing i'm i'm feeling feeling agitated i'm feeling dull i'm i'm uh thirsty uh, i'm hot you know this whatever it is that we're knowing this this alertness right and mindful the third is the mindful ardent alert and mindful mindful is this attending attending to this, this quality of mind that can replace the attention near what's occurring. It's also, mindfulness is also a kind of guardian of the mind. It, with wisdom, it's wise mindfulness. So with wisdom, the, the mindfulness can see that maybe we're, we're attending to something down this road, but that's not going to be so healthy for us. So like when we go to the meal, the lunch meal, and and we are getting kind of desirous of, you know, wanting more food because there isn't going to be a lot more food today. And then we go back and put more food on our plate and then but just a little more. And then we go back and put some more. And we're kind of losing touch maybe a little bit with the fact that this might be making us feel <laughs> uncomfortable and maybe a little nauseous. But so the mindfulness is actually, the, 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 the carries the wisdom that will say, why don't you, that's enough. Right? That's the, the wisdom element that, that can make choices and discriminate and, and help us discern what is going to bring healthy choices and what to move away from that might not be so healthy for us. 
So, so it's wise mindfulness. It's the carrier of the wisdom. So this is, this is what we're doing. It's a training. This is a mind. We're training the mind because, because we, can, we can see that we can so easily get pulled in these directions that, that can be uh, not only distracting and make us lose connection with what's occurring, but they take us into places and memories and fantasies and, and different w- ways we think about things that can be quite disturbing and painful and cause suffering, great suffering to us. So we, we start to train in this way, right? And the interesting thing is that we actually, when something begins to wake up in us, like it has for everyone in this room, we start to desire this way of being. We, we get pulled into this way of being. We want to be more centered. We want to be more balanced. We want to be more grounded. We want our minds to be more peaceful. We don't want to feel so stressed and so bound up in these difficult patterns of mind. And the heart, I call this the heart, the heart pulls us in more and more to situations that are actually going to be helpful and supportive for us to begin to untangle and loosen up some of those knots and those tangles that we get ourselves in. I, I think it's an, a natural longing of the human heart to want more peace, to want more ease, to want more simplicity. It's, it's a, I think it's part of our humanity and the Buddha, the Buddha talks about how, how we want this, but we don't know how to achieve it. We don't know the way. The heart is longing, but, but unless somebody gives us some, the instruction manual or gives us a map, we don't know what to do. So we find ourselves with you know, the, metaphor, the image of the hamster on the on the wheel, just going round and round and round and round and not knowing how to stop doing that. So the Buddha, Buddha says, here is a map. Right? Here is a way. Not the way, but a way. A way. Yeah, which is called the Eightfold Noble Path. But w- this, is, this is really what this whole body of teaching comes out of. I, I'm not going to go into that that big teaching right now. But that is the map, that is the path that we begin to walk in this practice. I remember my uh, very, very first um, retreat. Uh, it was a weekend a weekend retreat, um, just a Friday night to a Sunday afternoon. Um, and I... Um, I went because I, I, I was having a kind of a nervous breakdown about a year before, but I had m- met up with a teacher who, you know, I started to practice in this tradition with and I went on this retreat. And within 24 hours of the retreat, I thought I was going to have another nervous breakdown. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. And I really was spinning, and I was—I couldn't sit, and I—and I wanted to get out, and I wanted to run away. And I—I um, I talked to the teacher about that, and he said, "Wow," he said, "just chill, you know, <laughs> just—it's okay, you know, take a walk, 
you know, just go look at the trees, look at the birds, you know, you don't need to like practice so hard. You don't need to try to do everything, you know. And so I did and, and things got, got a little bit easier. But I was so glad to leave the next day. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to stick around, you know, and, and go through that anymore. But as hard as it was, and how I, you know, I had to face my, my own demons um, on, on that retreat, um, I wanted to go back. I mean, and I remember that so well. It's like, there, there, it was so hard, and it was, you know, so, I, I really was in a very difficult place in myself, but, and wanted to get out and leave the retreat. And then, within another 24, 36 hours, when can I do my next retreat? <laughs> and it's such an interesting thing. It's like the heart, my heart knew that it was right. There was something in my being, in my, in my knowing that this was going to help me. This was something that was going to help me sort things out that I, wa- I didn't know how to do. And so I did, obviously. That was a number of years ago. And I kept going. Because there was that sense, that sense that this is right for me. Even though it was so terribly hard. So there's, that's the kind of paradox in a way. You know, this kind of this longing, we long for this peace. We long for the way out of our stress, of our complexity. I came across this... um, this prayer uh, is actually from um, 1990, and it was uh, from the in, uh, United Nations Environmental Sabbath Rest Day, the Earth, the Earth Rest Day. And it was really a, a, a world peace uh, prayer um, to bring prayer into the workings of the United Nations. And uh, this is so, it's such a beautiful poem, and I, and, and I think it says so well what we feel in our heart is a hu- our humanity, where, where, we, where we do uh, have this universal, kind of a universal longing in our, as our humanity. It says, we who have lost our sense and our senses, our touch, our smell, our vision of who we are. We who frantically force and press all things without rest for body or spirit, hurting our earth and injuring ourselves, we call a halt. We call a halt. We want to rest. We need to rest and allow the earth to rest. We need to reflect and to rediscover the mystery that lives in us, that is the ground of every unique expression of life, the source of the fascination that calls all things to communion. We declare a Sabbath, a space of quiet, for simple being and letting be, for recovering the great forgotten truths for learning how to live again. I think that's what retreat here is. A space of quiet 
for simply being, right? A space of quiet for simply being, how we have lost our sense and our senses. We who frantically force and press all things without rest for body or spirit, hurting our earth and injuring ourselves. We call a halt to rediscover the mystery that lives in us. And I would say, as us, we are the mystery. This, I think, is what we long for. And I think it really is why probably most of us are here, whether it's conscious or not conscious. Right? Our heart is yearning for something, even if we don't know what it is. So in a way, this stopping, this halting, slowing down, one of my teachers, Cynthia Bourgeau, who is an is Episcopalian priest and a teacher, amazing, wonderful woman, Cynthia, she, she says that um, um, we, need, we need to change the frequency of our mind. Right? Because when we're engaged in the thinking mind, in the stories, it's too gross of a level to begin to touch into that which the heart is longing for. It's too subtle. So we, we need to become very quiet to hear that rumbling of the heart and the longings of the heart. Otherwise, we won't be able to hear it. So when we go out into nature or we take time just to be quiet or meditate or you know, we're, we're connecting into something within our heart that's very subtle. We can't access it unless we slow down, unless we stop, unless we call a halt. The mind is not, the thinking mind, the conceptual mind is not refined enough for these questions, the spiritual questions, right. the bigger questions about you know, birth, aging, sickness, and death. You know, this thinking mind can't answer those questions. It's too big. Right. So in a way, we're shifting our attention partly what, as we establish this mindfulness and certainly the immersion in the body, coming down into the body, into the ground. We're, we're shifting our attention from that ordinary conceptual way of thinking to what we call the heart, which is located more in the center of our being. It's not up here in the head. It's more in the chest, the heart. <laughs> and it's an energy center. We're going to be working a lot with that. That's so why I call this the heart of awareness. You know. So we start to listen and to sense and know and to receive wisdom from a, a different place than the conceptual mind. It's too small. It's too narrow. It's, it's too conditioned. And it's too gross. It only knows what it's 
perceived and it only knows what it can imagine, but it can't go to the deeper levels itself. We need awareness for that. Cynthia Bourgeau says, the attention of the heart is where thoughts do not affix themselves to the bait dangled by the imagination. I love that. Where the thoughts do not affix themselves to the bait dangled by the imagination. And that's what we see, isn't it? When we stop and we slow down, we start to look at the mind, we see the mind is very creative. <laughs> it's just unbelievably creative in its myriad possibilities and scenarios and memories. And, you know, even the memories, did those things really happen? <laughs> or are they just the way that we're thinking about them happening? You know, I mean, you know, that's, there's scientific research on that. You put five people in the same situation and every one of them is going to describe the situation differently. This is, this is, you know, where a lot of our difficulties arise from. So what's true? What's real? <laughs> we have to start questioning this. We, have to, we question the mind. We question what we're being told. We question the way that we're imagining things, the way the stories come through the mind. And so we start to get more quiet, we start to drop, we start to settle, we start to feel more of a ground and mindfulness. And then from that place of awareness, we can start to witness or see what's moving through the mind more clearly through the stories, the, the mental conceptions, the images, which then are s completely associated with the feeling life. All the emotional life is in the, in the mental Conceptions are completely interconnected, interrelated. So this is what we're, we're starting to get a deeper sense of. How does all this work? Right? How do we get ourselves in this fix? How do we get ourselves in this predicament? Where so much of the time we feel the suffering. We feel the suffering aspect. How do we find our way out? Because there is a way out. There is a way out. This is the invitation of the Buddha's teachings. So even though this call, this pull is strong for us, you know, I think at the same time we actually fear it. Because we, we start to catch on to the fact that the more present we are, the more we're confronted with our, our mind and our heart. And we have to actually face the truth of what's there. We start to get really honest. You know, the more present we are and the more we're here, we get very honest with what's going on. And that's hard. You know, you know as we expand and we, we become more available, also more comes up from the unconscious. The unconscious material, the hidden material, all that that has been pushed down, all that that hasn't been seen, and all of that that is hidden and too subtle for our usual ordinary way of mind, of, of, of living, it starts to come up. 
as it comes up through dream, dream life, it comes up through the meditations, through different kinds of images and, and memories and stories and more imaginations and fantasies and dreams. I mean, it's a quite a rich consciousness as we start to open up to it. And we need to be steady. We need to have a ground. We need to know where that ground is, where that foundation is, to be able to stay, stay here. And that's where the breath, the breath is such a great resource to know how to breathe, right? For those of you who've been doing this for, for a while, how many, how many times have you been told, just breathe, you know, find your breath, <laughs> right? Ah, take a deep breath. And that's, 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 that's the beginning of, of coming back into our body, into our experience. When things start getting too overwhelming, we start to get too much. Too much is coming in. And we have to sometimes start to shut down those, those close those doors and those windows because too much is coming in and it's okay. It's like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> Taking a break. <laughs> Right, and, and you know, we'll talk more about that, that kind of modulation. We call it titration, how to titrate what comes in and what doesn't come in. Because we don't want to just kind of open it all up, you know, just kind of rip it open and everything kind of, it's too much. Too much for the, for the mind and the heart. So, so we take it slow. We don't force this. We don't, don't try to go from the first floor to the fourth floor right away, you know, we take our time and really develop these resources so we know how to stay steady. This is the primary thing, how to stay steady. How do we keep our feet on the ground? How do we stay connected to our body so that we can, we know where our our breath is, we know our hands are, our arms, our legs, our feet, where the earth is. Use the earth as a support. Keeps us steady. So there's a lot we, we learn to work with. And that's why we need a retreat. We need time, you know, we need some days. Because we just take it little by little. Um, start with the body, the breath. Tomorrow we'll start opening up the meditation a little bit more. Then the next day we open it up even a little bit more. You know, as we, as we arrive here, get more grounded here, we can open it up, keep opening it up so that we have more and more capacity to be present for the vast array of experience that is here moment to moment. We also have to know how in that steadiness, how do we, how do we um, be with experience so that we're not just lost in the reaction kind of trying to push it away or trying to deny it or reject it or resist and not hold on and not cling and not, not to try to stay, get attached to our experiences. But again, that more of that steady kind of 
allowing and welcoming things to come and to go. So in a way, we're, we're shifting our perspective, we're shifting our lens. So rather than just looking through the ordinary mind, which is sometimes called the ego mind, you know, the mind that's been patterned by our past, but looking at it freshly, looking at what's occurring in a fresh way through awareness, wisdom, mindfulness, just to see things for what they are. There's this lovely quote from um, Thich Nhat Hanh, this wonderful Vietnamese Zen master in his book, Present Moment, Wonderful Moment. And he talks about this shift of perspective, how we can begin to look at things a little differently. He says, uh, garbage can smell terrible, especially rotting organic matter. But it can also become rich compost for fertilizing the garden. The fragrant rose and the stinking garbage are two sides of the same existence. Without one, the other cannot be. Without one, the other cannot be. There is not an existence where they don't both exist. <laughs> That's fantasy. It's some kind of magical thinking. <laughs> Right, that we're going to get to some kind of place where there's no more garbage, there's no more stinking, rotting smells. Right, it's only going to be the fragrant rose. Well, that isn't the way it is uh, in this world. He says, without one, the other cannot be. Everything is in transformation. The rose that wilts after six days will become part of the garbage. After six months, the garbage is transformed into a rose. You feel that? The rose that wilts after six days will become part of the garbage. You know, I think about that sometimes when I throw away, you know, my flowers. Yeah, I throw them in the compost, actually. <laughs> and then I know they're going to be fertilizer something beautiful for something rich as when we when we speak of impermanence we understand that everything is in transformation everything is in transformation and so as we go through our days we can perhaps start to experience what's occurring more from that wise view that even though something's occurring that we don't like or we don't want or we wish wasn't here, somehow, if we can welcome that, be open to that, perhaps there's some kind of <coughs> learning or understanding or some kind of wisdom that will come through that will then fertilize more wisdom and more opening, more awareness. So we begin to maybe be a little bit less resistant a little less caught up in our judgments and our expectations and our demands and our preferences and what we like and what we don't like. And as we open a little bit more, there's a kind of a wonderful um, uh, understanding that starts to be revealed to us in a way that can be quite surprising. And already people have, a few people have said to me that they've had some really surprising insights about things in their mind and heart. 
you know? And it's, it's like that. This is called insight meditation. And so this is the way, right? this is the way towards more insight. So we've begun, right? We have, we have begun our practice. And it's, it's, it, it, it's a rich adventure. It's a rich journey. If we can hang in there, we can really hang in there, and sometimes we might be hanging by this, you know, skin of our teeth, you know. It's like, but hang in. And we start with the body. The breath is a way to begin to uh, support us. We bring in the loving kindness as a way to touch our heart and to extend, to begin to um, access that, the kind attention. Because that doesn't come naturally. The kindness and the loving kindness doesn't necessarily come naturally for us. Many of us, we haven't been, we haven't learned that. We haven't learned how to be loving towards ourselves or maybe towards others for some of us. So that's a, we practice that too. We cultivate that too. So we have our loving kindness practices. We practice with a caring attention, a kind attention, noticing when we're not kind to ourselves or to others and see if we can catch that and maybe let it go or change it. Maybe send metta, oh, may you be happy, may you be well, may I be happy, may I be well. So these are the kind, this is where we're beginning. This is where we're starting. And it's just, I want to say, and I don't mean to, <laughs> I want to say it's just the tip of the iceberg, but I don't mean to <laughs> alarm anybody. <laughs> I more want to encourage you and, and ins inspire you so that you'll hang in. Um, so I'll end with um, this short, uh, I'm not sure what it is, poem from Wu Men from the 13th century, the Chinese Zen master, who says, if your mind is clouded, if your mind isn't clouded by unnecessary things, then this is the best season of your life. Let's just sit together for a moment.
Thank you for your kind attention this evening. So we'll have about a, well, it's about 40 minutes now uh, before the next sitting. Uh, we'll have a little bit of a shorter sitting um, tonight. I know it's been a long day. Some of you have been, you said you were exhausted. Um, we'll have a little shorter sitting, um, maybe a little chant, a little short chant as well this evening. And uh, I hope to see you here at 9 o'clock. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.